Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudelari. Very excited to have you with us here this week. We have an awesome episode lined up for you. We're being joined today by Blair Eady, one of the OG influencers. Blair got her start back in 2010 when she founded TheAtlanticPacific.com and has been a mainstay on the blogging and influencing scene since then. She also has an incredible career on the corporate brand side as well. But we're going to dive into all of that when we get to the interview. First, I want to make a quick plug from us here at Trove. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please leave us that five-star rating and give us a glowing review. It's so easy to do. It takes two seconds, and we really appreciate it. With that out of the way, and without any further ado, let's get to the good stuff. Blair, thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, excited to get into it. Now, you you don't need an introduction, but why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, so I actually started my career in fashion in 2007. I went into the retail management program at Gap Corporate. So I started my career in merchandising, but while I was there working on product, I realized how much these online influencers were influencing these billion-dollar companies in terms of the trends they were following, what product they were making, and I wanted to become a part of the conversation. So in mm-hmm. 2010, I started Atlantic Pacific. And these uh, were the early days of the oh, blog. early yeah. days. Yeah. So, um, Where everybody was a blogger, not an influencer, blogger, right? Blogger, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love how much people get caught up on titles these days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was back in the day, predating Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. And back, if you remember, I always love to, to mention like the Chicktopia days, oh, the lookbook.new. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the jam. Yeah. <laughs> so uh started Land Pacific in 2010, got the opportunity to move to New York in 2012. Considered going full-time at that point, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I didn't feel as though I had done everything I could in my merchandising career. I was really focused on continuing to grow both merchandising okay. as well as my blogging career and ended up at Tory Birch. Mm-hmm. I was the director of Ready to Wear um, and then eventually moved over to the director of accessories. I ended up there for five years. Um, wow, yeah. But as the demands of the kind of influencer world changed, more travel, putting your names on products, um, I felt like in 2017, it was the right time to come over and take on Atlantic Pacific full time. Nice. And so what was it that kind of led to that point? You said there are several points throughout your career that you thought about coming over to do influencing full time. But what is it that ultimately was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. And I think it's hard. I think finding that inflection point of when you want to leave perhaps your corporate job is going to be different for everybody. And for me, I absolutely love merchandising. Um, I I would say I'm a little bit different than some other people in the space where I was really fulfilled in my corporate career and it was really hard to leave. And I could actually envision myself even going back someday. So for me, it was building up my merchandising career to a point where I felt like I had accomplished a lot. I had gotten to a certain point where I felt if I left and did blogging, influencing full time, (laughs) uh, 
that I could always go back. Like I had enough experience in merchandising to go back. I think also um, kind of on the flip side, on the influencer side, I was waiting for a point where brands were doing more, investing more in influencers. And I felt like it was really 2015, 2016, that not just a few brands, but brands in general, I think influencing became a much more um, necessity when it came to media for brands. Mm -hmm. So I felt like there was more stability on the influencer side. And then I felt that I had, I'd gotten to a point in my career that I was, I was proud of what I have accomplished and I felt like I could go back. So that was really it for me. But I think one thing to really think about when you are considering leaving your full-time job is, there are a lot of other things that I think go into it, you know, like leaving a corporate environment where you do have a network and you're with people every day. Yeah. You're then venturing over to this isolation island. Yeah, where it can you're, be kind of lonely, yeah, right? You're, you're yeah, you're on your own. And I think it isn't just about money. It's also about fulfillment. But on that note of money, I think it's also taking into account the things that sometimes corporate companies can take off your plate that then you need to take on. Right. You need to make sure that you're padding for, you know, accounting, legal expenses, 401k, yeah. um, and then the really unsexy piece, which I think is something a lot of people don't talk about is healthcare and how hard it is to go out <laughs> on your own. Yeah. Um, you're not going to have healthcare. If you're considering having children, you're not going to have maternity leave. And right. I think these are really serious things that you need to think about mm-hmm. if you are considering leaving your corporate job. Absolutely. So, no, yeah. and it's it's funny being out there on your own and trying to uh, drum up the proper health care is yeah. a nightmare in and of itself. Being on the New York Exchange or, you know, yeah. looking for whatever might work is is really, I mean, it's hard enough to navigate when you have somebody t- handing you a pamphlet and saying, hey, yeah. here are your three options. Now you got to go out and find it yourself. Absolutely. And yeah. figure out like what is going to work for me and my family because they, they, they don't make it very clear. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So what was that transition like? The, talk to, talk through the first couple of months, like transitioning away from being at a desk, seeing people every day on your team to, hey, this is this is me. This is what I do. I, it is kind of isolated. And it was funny. Um, a lot of the things that Grace actually said on her podcast resonated yeah. with me because even though I did build up a steady uh, income in terms of long-term partnerships and affiliate and those things that made me feel like I had some sense of, you know, stability, uh, when I left, it was in the beginning of 2017. So it's kind of like Q1 downtime, like that quiet period. (laughs) And it was kind of the same thing. I didn't have as many contracts as I usually had. And you're sitting there thinking like, what what did did I I do? do?" No, and, and I think that the transition, it can. I think there are things that do hit you and you don't realize it until you're in the moment. And one of those was, you know, working in a corporate environment where it was a lot of young, like-minded people who were creative. You know, I, I wasn't working in an accounting office or right. some, you know, some dry job. It was a really creative no, environment. No, no offense to accountants. Yeah, but. sorry. I know, that was like a just random example. Um, and Just out here putting accountants on blast. I know, all the accountants like, unfollow me. Um, (laughs) No. And so I think that, you know, it it was really like uh, that isolation was pretty hard for me. Again, it was like winter, it was like Q1. And and, yeah. yeah, and I think that it's, you know, that's where you realize how important it is when you do leave to not only build up, you know, a client list of those people that you trust Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can work with and partner with, but also a network of, of people who are doing the same thing that you're doing. You know, so Mm -hmm. Mary, obviously, has become a good friend of mine, Grace, people um, who, again, like they're doing the same thing as you and finding that 
have those people that you can lean on. So, right. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to be, it's a really tough transition. It's interesting because you've been around uh, in the blogging, Forever. influencing I'm space. Super old. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Not old, just a veteran of the space. I like to call them the OGs of the yeah. blogging world. Um, but people don't realize is back in 2010, even through 2014, like people, uh, brands and retailers spending money on influencers, not a thing. No. Right. It's only in the last kind of three or four years where it's really become very commonplace, you know, a, a big piece of the marketing budgets. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like similar actually to what Grace touched on, I'm actually just going to do Grace's entire podcast today. Um, no, similar <laughs> Shout to, what, out to Grace <laughs> for blazing the trailer. Yeah. Thank you, Grace. Um, no, similar to what Grace said as well. Uh, you know, I was able to, because I got in early, to your point, I was able to watch the industry grow from yeah. both sides. I, I watched mm -hmm. it grow from an influencer side to how my business changed, yeah. to how the social platforms grew and changed. Some of them grew, some of them died. Um, and then from the brand side, working at a brand, I was able to see really how brands were reacting, really reacting, because a lot of them yeah. weren't acting. They were reacting to a lot of these changes that were happening, and it gave me an even clearer insight into how brands were viewing this, how they were viewing working with influencers. Yeah. So even that experience was totally invaluable to, you know, how I operate today. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 2010 to 2014, like those were really the years where it was like all happening, you right. know? And like I said, it was really 2015, 2016 that I started to feel like there was a stability to the industry right, from the influencer side. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't just this kind of weird group of outliers who were doing random sponsor posts. It was the industry was kind yeah. of inviting them in and saying, hey, this is a really big part of us telling our story. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to, to talk about that transition. And, and one of the things that's really happened recently is uh, a lot of brands are collaborating with influencers and doing collections and putting influencers' names on products. You recently actually launched a 150-piece collection with Nordstrom. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you very I, much. It was quite a success. But how did that come about and... What'd you learn from that experience? Tell us a little bit about it. You know, I think that Nordstrom has always been a leader in the space from really investing in the influencer model, whether it's through affiliate, paid partnerships. Um, and they really were one of the ones who uh, went after kind of this idea of leveraging influencers and their creativity to create products. So when they approached me, uh, the first thing that I thought is like, would this be a good partner? Yeah. Um, do our ethos line up? Uh, do we operate the same? Uh, mm -hmm. Do, do our customer bases have some overlap, but then we can also mutually ben benefit from partnering together. Right. And then the most important piece is, are they really going to invest in understanding me and my point of view? Mm -hmm. And then vice versa, it should be a partnership, right. as you've said on other podcasts, it needs to be a two-way street. Yeah. And I think through our initial conversations, it was a really, really great fit. And you knew um, them previously, right? Because you'd worked with them for a long time. Yeah, I'd worked with them for a long time. So it was a partner that I had worked with before. I understand kind of what they're trying to accomplish, but then also my readers know and trust them. They shop there. So again, it wasn't like I was going to be introducing this whole new retailer right. that I had never talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was it was a really exciting project to work on. And for me personally, the reason why I was so excited to work on it is because at that point, it had been two years of, you know, doing the blog full time. Sure, yeah. And... I was then able to use those skills that I had learned over the 10 years in like merchandising design right, and product yeah. development. So it was like this perfect marriage of like my old life mm -hmm. and my current life. Yeah. Uh, and it was just so, so much fun to work on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think nowadays there's, there's more and more of these popping up. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you, do you feel at all like 
there's, you know, some fatigue going on in the, with these collaborations, people putting names on products? Like, is there some fatigue or, or is there room for more? How do, how do you think this evolves? It's interesting. I think like you can very much parallel this kind of question to when people say, is the influencer bubble going to burst? Are there too many influencers? Yeah. You know, and I think the answer is no. I think, right. I think these things are here to stay. I think that we're at this turning point where really the world is changing. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I think the difference then is that, you know, influencers have to be so much more strategic, so much more savvy. They have to find a unique space in the market. Like they have to juggle way more than they did in the past because it's just right. more of a competitive market space. So mm-hmm. I would argue the same with these collaborations that I think in the beginning it was like, it was just this, you know, unique new novel idea. So right. you could slap anybody's name on any product sure. and readers would buy it because they would say like, wow, this is so cool. What an amazing opportunity. And I, I think that's changed. And I think that, you know, readers and followers understand kind of what goes into these collaborations. And you can tell which ones I feel like are maybe mm-hmm. a little more authentic than others. Right. And so I think from here on out, it's not just about putting your name on product. It's, is it the right partner? Is it, you know, being distributed in the right channels? Is it unique product that's actually quality? And is it something that I think your readers will, is it something that they will connect with from like a creative aspect? And I think that what's going to happen is retailers, brands, and then influencers alike are going to have to push themselves to really make sure that they're being more thoughtful about the collaborations. That's going to be the difference. And you obviously have a very unique background in like, in in that this is what you did before you came to influencing full time. Can an influencer be successful with product if they haven't had that? Is there varying degrees of involvement? Like you are clearly heavily involved because this is what you did. You're an expert at this. But if you don't have that, but you want to launch a line, like how can you do that? Can you do that? Talk us through kind of that thought process. Yeah. And I think that those are conversations that you have to have at the very beginning with a partner. Yeah. You know, I think that you want to make sure that whatever you're creating is is authentic to you. And when Mm -hmm. it shows up in in the channels that it shows up in, your readers can really identify wow, X, Y, and Z had a hand in creating this. Mm -hmm. With that being said, like, do you need to have a design background or a merchandising background? Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But what that means is you need to find a partner who excels at those areas that you obviously are not an expert in. And you need to make sure that they very much understand your point of view, Mm -hmm. probably even more clear than they understand mine, because I'm able to articulate through every process of the product life cycle exactly what something should look like. And Um, that can be intimidating for an influencer or maybe has a pretty big following, but no design chops or no merchandising chops. Yeah. And they want to do something, but they can't. Like for me, I want to launch a sock line, but I don't have any design chops, right? Yeah. But I'll find a partner who can do it, right? Right. And I think, I mean, and it would, it would be amazing. Um, I can see it now. It's like I, I can't. It's gonna. It would be terrible. Rich's socks. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing I would have to say about partnering is making sure that you you actually do have a very clear point of view. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, because I'm focused primarily on fashion and I, I do, you know, if you looked at my feed, it is, it's very, very um, clear. I love color. Right. I love print. Yeah. I love pattern. I love There's volume. There's no guessing about Both, what yeah. your brand is. People yeah. aren't like, is she minimalist? Um, <laughs> and exactly. So I think you do have to have a very clear point of view. And I think on that note too, I think retailers need to be more savvy about who they're partnering with from the standpoint of, if you have a million followers, I'm just going to use that as like a random benchmark, but let's say you're more of like a modely Instagrammer. Yeah. Is 50% of your following men? Yeah. Or Or 90%. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that those are things you need to consider. Like is, 
90% of your audience below the age of 18. Right. That's totally fine. That doesn't mean that like you don't have a viable audience, but they most likely don't have the wallet share right. that somebody in the 35 to 45, you know, bracket has. And I right. think those are things that retailers really need to consider when they're looking for influencers to partner with. Nowadays, you know, a million followers or just a certain number of engagement isn't going to create a compelling line. Right. And I think for me, one of the things that is both a strength but also a weakness is that I focus only on fashion. Sure. So everyone who lands on my page, for the most part, I don't know why else you would come, um, is looking <laughs> at what I'm wearing, how I'm styling something, right. maybe to discover a new brand. But at the end of the day, they're all interested in fashion. My audience is over 95% women. My audience actually skews older. And for me, creating a product line, that's like a very valuable audience. Right. And I think that those are, again, kind of things to consider when people are building a line collaboratively are, you know, really do have a unique point of view. And if you essentially apply that point of view to product, will that resonate with the audience right. that you've created? Yeah, something I think that you said that I think is incredibly important is brands and retailers need to do more diligence on these yes. partnerships <laughs> and sponsorships long term because it's Every, instant gratification is the name of the game these days. Everybody wants to get up, something up and running and fast and get it done. And they think influencers are a way to do that. But the reality is, if you don't do your homework, if you don't find the right people to partner with, it's going to fall flat. Just like the ad messaging of the Mad Men days, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter how good you think it is. If it doesn't resonate with the consumer, it's not going to take off. And that's why you know, the Nordstrom thing worked out so well for you because you'd worked together for a long time. You knew each other really well. There was a general understanding of what you each stand for and you knew how to get to kind of a, a partnership or a collaboration that was going to really resonate well with both audiences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, the other, you know, point of partnering together is, are you both happy? Are you both right. happy with the results? Mm -hmm. You know, nor is Nordstrom's customer delighted and surprised? Right. Are my readers happy yeah. with like what I produced? And I think, um, I think at the end of the day, not that I can speak for Nordstrom, but I think we both came out of it with just like a mutual respect for each other. Right. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, results that we were both really, really over the moon about. So, And the beautiful thing about these partnerships being good for both sides is that they oftentimes lead to other things, other ways to work together and bigger and better things. Is, is that yeah. on the come with and you and Nordstrom? And I think that, you know, not only when it comes to product collaborations, but everything that you do as an influencer, your right. goal should be essentially client customer retention, where right. it's like, are you both happy? How do you make this a, a long-term thing? And mm -hmm. I can't really sell the details, but wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I think hopefully it'll be going that Stay way. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> bum, yeah. bum, bum. Yeah. yeah. Well, something you touched on there, it's a hundred times more expensive to acquire a new customer or partner in this case. You know, as an influencer building up your business and working with brands, it's a hundred times harder and more expensive to acquire a new customer or in this case, a brand or retail who wants to work with you than to just do a really amazing job, make everybody happy and retain an existing customer, somebody who you're already working with. So really important. Um, something you mentioned earlier is that you only focus on fashion. Talk to us a little bit about that. Why have you made that choice? Because obviously to the, you know, the name of the game these days is doing everything from beauty to skincare to lifestyle to, you know, everything in between. Why have you just focused on this one vertical? I'm hiding all my my Martha Stewart, like unicorn abilities. No, I'm kidding. I, I, the, the short I can, answer I can is attest like, to that. Short answer is I suck at everything else. Um, no, I think from the very beginning, um, I knew that I wanted to focus on what I was passionate mm -hmm. about and what I was good at. And that was fashion. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was something that I really identified as 
was that could and would make me successful is really a narrow focus. With that being said, can you do a lot of different things and and still be successful? Absolutely. I think when it gets dangerous is when you try to become everything to everybody because you essentially lose a point of view and people then don't really understand what your expertise is or why they're going to you. Sure. And then um, I think in addition, it's just like you do a disservice where you you might be able to, let's say, grow your audience or maybe even grow the amount of money that you make because you're yeah. in different verticals, mm-hmm. but you're creating a very fragmented audience, which yeah. again, sometimes that works because people are engrossed in every aspect of your life. Yeah. But more times than not, people are usually going to like one person for fashion, one person for lifestyle and food, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, there are unicorns out there um, who can do it all well yeah. and they do an awesome job. Um, but I think, you know, with that being said, very like from the very, very beginning, I think you need to identify what you do well and how you're going to set goals against those. Yep. And I think when it gets dangerous is, listen, a lot of people are, are running their websites and their social media platforms as a business. And where it gets tough is if you start to chase money. And I think mm-hmm. there's there are some influencers that I follow that I've just, you can see when it's no longer authentic. Yeah. And I'm like, of course, the beauty industry is growing at a rate way faster than fashion. So those contracts can be far more lucrative or home has been something that's starting to explode yeah. kind of in the marketplace. They're starting to invest, whereas they right. didn't before. Mm-hmm. But that's not a reason to then become a beauty blogger or become a home blogger. Right. But I also understand that people's lifestyles evolve, you change, maybe you become mm-hmm. a mother, maybe. And I think that that's a natural evolution. I think sure. when it's, what I'm trying to point out is it's dangerous when it's an evolution that only has like monetary or business backing. Sure, and yeah. you can tell they're not passionate about it. Right. You can tell that it's something that is not authentic to them. And I think for me, people can tell hopefully when they come to my site or to any of my feeds that like, this is what I like live and die by is fashion. um, Mm -hmm. And you don't want to see what I cook. So (laughs) It's not that bad. Yeah. uh Yeah. I hope you like chicken nuggets and mac and cheese. No, I think that's really interesting. I also think it's, interesting to take it take a step back and think about like there's room for everybody here there are a lot of people who are more like reality stars than actual you know like experts on a specific topic and so people are just curious about what they're doing yeah right but then there's some people like yourself you've positioned yourself as a fashion expert this is what you've done for your whole career both you know in the corporate world <laughs> gotta watch out for that mike mike, <laughs> mike just about <laughs> jump out and bitter um but it's people who have spent their you've spent your whole life in fashion both on the corporate side and on you know as an influence And so people come to you for that specific purpose, but you're also able to extend that brand into other verticals in an interesting way. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. And I also just wanted to say, and I feel like I I always say this anytime I speak on a panel or in a podcast, you know, I'm sharing my point of view and everybody should go out there and garner lots of different points of view. Listen to all of of the podcasts that you guys have created because everyone's going to have, you know, different opinions as to what works best and whatnot based on their own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like f- I focus on fashion because that's what works for me. But to your point, there's some people who are wildly successful, essentially just sharing their everyday life, which right. is great. But again, I recognize like that is like not for me, if right. you will. And it's, yeah. not, it's also not for a lot of people who are trying to make it for them, if yeah. you will. And 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 people, um, in, in many cases, people would be best served to focus on what they're good at and what they're passionate about and become an expert in that and share that with the world. But in many cases, 
it takes a lot of work. Yeah. It's not an overnight thing. You know, you, we often overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And it takes a lot of effort to get to that level, right? Because yeah. you just need experience and you have a ton of experience. So you can be an expert and you're passionate about it, but it's not going to happen in three days, three months or three weeks. And I think going back to, you know, kind of what you were talking about is um, it was interesting about two years ago, you know, I only focus on fashion. And so I have um, a list of amazing brands, clients, retailers I work with, but I obviously don't take on a ton of beauty or wine and spirits or hotels up until about, I would say two or three years ago, whereas there were a lot of brands that recognized if you were a wine spirits food company, but you only focused on those bloggers who cover those topics, you're hitting the same overlapping audience. And so I started to get a lot of inquiries probably about three years ago where brands were coming to me that weren't fashion brands. And initially I was like, why would I ever work with this X, Y, and Z brand that you know, is a travel company or, or it's a car company. Right. But what I realized that they were coming to me and they were like, we want you to be our fashion ambassador, meaning mm-hmm. we understand you are not going to share a cocktail recipe or you're not right. going to do something specific. All we want is we want our brand to be associated with like the fashion lifestyle that you lead. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that those are clients that I've taken on and it's really expanded kind of who I've been able to work with. But I am very, very careful that when I take on non-fashion brands, that they understand that it's always going to be through a fashion lens. And right. I think Vogue Clicquot is probably the best example of that. They've been an amazing partner for three years and mm-hmm. they really understand me. And I think that they in turn have kind of created like a fashion culture around their yeah. polo events and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that that's been a really interesting evolution in the space. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to see those collaborations come to life because often they can be more successful than just your normal collaborations yeah. within, you know, the specific vertical. Totally. Because it takes a whole nother level of creativity and storytelling that doesn't exist outside of that, you know, Yeah, and I think the first couple of clients that I took on, it was a little bit daunting because they sure. were different. A lot of them operate a lot differently than retail, com- retail and fashion companies. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the retail and fashion clients that I had, I'd known for years and years. So like you were mm-hmm. saying, like taking on new clients is, it's, it's a lot of work because yeah. you're you're having to get to know each other. It's like multiple phone calls. It's, it's like starting a new person. job. Yeah. You have to you have to show up early, stay late, and prove to them that you are you know who your reputation says you are. Yeah. Right. And you know your old clients know that you'll deliver on time. It'll be yeah. amazing. But your new ones, this is their first chance to work with you. But it was interesting because to your point, I think it pushed me in creative directions that I hadn't gone in before, and right. I was really grateful for the opportunity to take on things that. I wasn't sure how it would translate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really pushed me to like open my horizons and think about, you know, not only client wise, like who I'm working with, but also creatively, like what else can I do, you know, on the site? How can I creatively show up in new ways? Yeah. Well, building on that point, obviously you've been focused on fashion your whole career. How often do you revisit your brand? How often do you revisit the things that you're focused on? Is that something you do on a weekly basis or is that you put your head down and say, all right, these are my brand pillars. I'm going to, you know, focus on these for six months, then I'll revisit. Is it a year? How do you, how do you think about that? And how does it evolve? Because it has evolved from since 2010. Yes, it has (laughs) a lot. Um, And I think in some ways, what's interesting is that the evolution that has happened with Atlantic Pacific has happened less in kind of the strategy and, and like the 
ethos of what I do. And it's mm-hmm. happened more in like the way that I dress. So everybody's going to evolve oh, yeah. in different ways. Mm-hmm. I would say I still write very little copy. I still focus on fashion. Yeah. It's very photography heavy. There's all of these things that have remained very much the same. You're not going to come to my site again and see recipes and blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there has been an evolution in the way that I dress. And I've moved cities. And I think that that has affected kind of the way that I, the way that I present myself. But, um, Overall, I would say it's like usually once a month, once a quarter, okay. reevaluating, you know, am I happy with kind of how I showed up, you know, this yeah. month? Am I happy with like the content that I'm delivering, reevaluating relationships with clients? Are you giving yourself a 360 degree review, you know, as your boss and the and the subordinate? You just yeah. having these I mean, I think you really <laughs> do have like a very honest conversation with yourself. Yeah. And, uh, I can yeah. imagine you standing there in the mirror saying, listen, you did a great job this yeah. month. You felt, you know, you, you could have done better on I mean, Rich, you know me. I'm like, listen, you could have done a much better job at, um, I'm like very hard on myself. No, but I, I would say like from the very beginning, my key kind of tenants have been style, storytelling, and surprise. And yeah. so like, that's kind of what I always try to emulate in everything that I do. One thing that I do think is really important to kind of hit on in feedback. And I think that some of the podcasts that you've had earlier, um, a, a lot of amazing uh, guests have hit on this that, you know, you don't just have one boss, you have like a million bosses right, because yeah. like you're beholden to the World Wide <laughs> right, Web, which right. is like sometimes a very tough audience. It um, is a dark place is, at yeah, times. Yeah, it can be dark. <laughs> um, but I will say one thing that's really interesting to me and one thing that I've really set out to do is to garner feedback specifically from clients. Okay. So I think that's something where, um, you know, you finish a project and you hand it over to them and they're like, yep, great, submitting the invoice, done. Right. And for me, that's like not good enough. No. Like it's checking back in and saying like, hi, I just wanted to like check back in right. and ensure that you guys were happy with the content. Here's yeah. some additional analytics. I found it really interesting that like X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. performed in this way. Yeah. And I think it's really important for people to ensure that they're not only seeking, I guess, like self-feedback, but like they're also out there actively seeking feedback from clients and partners and having tough conversations. To be honest, if like I would rather have a client tell me like, hey, listen, we weren't, you know, thrilled with X, Y, and Z, and here's the reasons why. And I can be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. That's great to know. Like, let me know how we can partner again and like I can make it right. And I think that that's something that's like really, really important in this space that doesn't always happen automatically from the brand side. 100%. They're well, not willing to be like, hey, yeah, here's some feedback. Well, I think there's there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, most influencers don't solicit it because a lot of these folks are creatives and, and some of them have never had the corporate jobs where 360-degree reviews are actually a thing. Right? Yeah, and they can be like real brutal. And they can be super brutal. <laughs> Got my hand up. I got a few brutal reviews early in my career. Uh, turned turned the ship around though, which was good. Um, but uh, but it's not if for on the creative side, it's oftentimes not built into their thought process. They're not thinking about that necessarily. But also, as we've said, like this industry is maturing, and so the brands are not thinking about the influencers as part of their team necessarily, which they are. It's it's a natural extension of the yeah. brand and of the team. And if you want things to work out, oftentimes if you give influencers feedback, they might do a make good. They might do something yeah. to help you because they want to perform well for you. Of course. Because they want to keep you as a client. And so I think that hopefully as this, hey, you're deliberate about this, Mary's deliberate about this, some people are very deliberate about getting that feedback so that they can perform better and retain the clients that they already have. And I think we're going to see more of that as the industry develops. It's 
been around for kind of a long time, right? You would say it's been yeah. around for 10 years or so, um, but it's really only escalated in the last two or three. And a lot of these people who are in the influencer marketing positions are 22, 25, 26 years old, and yeah. they're still kind of getting their feet wet themselves. No, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, for me, one thing that has been valuable just in my career path within being an influencer is that, and again, there's no right or wrong way, but I think because I have been established for so long, I grew up in the industry of fashion. Right. So yeah. I had contacts even outside of having a blog, like obviously just through like natural contacts within mm -hmm. the fashion industry, which is where I operate. Um, I think that it's it's also been interesting that I haven't ever had like a manager or an agent. So like yeah. I have this direct line to brands mm -hmm. and I seek their feedback. I build relationships. And I think, you know, on that same note of seeking out feedback, I think whether or not you have an agent or a manager, one of the most important things to do is ensure that you are building relationships with the brand themselves. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, I still have to work through agencies at times because there might be an agency of record for a large brand. Maybe that large right. brand doesn't, you know, choose to work directly with the agency. But I will always ask, can I have a phone call directly with the brand? Right. Or I would love to connect with them and ensure that they are okay with my brief. I right. always pitch out a brief before I do something. But that's really going to make the difference is going the extra mile and saying, I want them to know me not as the handle Blair EDBE, right. which mm -hmm. like, I probably need to change that. Um, but I think also- it's not broke, don't fix it. I know. Um, but I think also knowing me as like, oh, wow, we connected with her. Right. She's very professional. She's seeking feedback. She wants to build a relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we talked about this with Olivia Rank and John Philip Thompson. You are much more likely to get tapped for campaigns or work with someone uh, over the long term if you have a personal relationship with them. Yeah. Managers will always have a space in this industry. Absolutely. The good ones will. I mean, you look at every other industry, right? You look at the music industry, you look at acting, you look yep. at all of those industries. Like, good agents will always have a place, but there isn't, and you can't replace that person to person relationship. And even if you do have an agent or a manager, you should be building that in order to create that kind of trust, if you will, that, that relationship yeah. that can't be created in any other way. Absolutely. So how do you uh, feel about agents and, and managers in, in particular? Because you haven't had one uh, yeah. ever. And why is that? Like, what what is the kind of the calculation there? How do you think about it? And I think it's interesting. It hasn't been like 100% deliberate. I'm not like, mm -hmm. burn them all down. Um, <laughs> but I think that... Um, you know, what has just happened is... Not oh, like accountants. <laughs> yeah, not like accountants. This is an anti-accountant podcast. Um, <laughs> now I feel so bad I used accountants Both of my brother are brothers are accountants, and I think they probably would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting. I think one of the main reasons why I haven't signed on with an agency purely is from the standpoint that I had built these relationships, and a lot of times nowadays... Um, many, not all, but many agent contracts build in the idea that they own, you know, let's say 10, very conservatively to 20 to 25% of your total revenue. And sometimes that includes projects that they don't work on or even affiliate links that right. like they're not involved mm -hmm. in. And so for me, it's, it's really about managing the P&L of your business and understanding mm -hmm. that you should actually view that as almost an expense because mm -hmm. unless they're willing to sign and say they will absolutely make up that extra work, you know, you, that essentially bring you enough work to make up that delta between what they're taking, I think that you really need to think about everything in your business from 
when it comes to expenses, it's not just how much you're making, how much you're bringing in. It's also how much you're spending. Because at the end of the, end of the day, like that obviously eats into whatever goals you have for how right. much you want to make for that year. Mm-hmm. So I think in looking at it, you know, in the industry, there's people who have agents and teams and office spaces and all of these things. Yeah. And some of them absolutely should. Like mm-hmm. there are some businesses that warrant that. But I think for me, it's really looking at my P&L and managing that well and saying, do I really think an agent is going to bring me X amount more work or negotiate X amount more with clients I've worked with for five years who like I'm locked into a rate? Um, Can I make that money back? And I think it's just really important to think about that almost as an expense in a a weird way. Well, it is an expense. I mean, it's 10 to 25% of your top line. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting because I I know this might be controversial, but I think that many times there are some people in the industry who want to become established and they think they do that through Mm -hmm. this facade of, I have an office, I have this huge team, talk to my manager. And... I think really you should only be taking on these expenses as I call them, Mm -hmm. agents, teams, office space, what have you, if you really need it. Because I think at the end of the day, like to your point, like that is actually where businesses die is overspending. And and so I think just over the course of my career, it hasn't hasn't made sense yet. So I operate with like very, very little overhead. And I think the the interesting thing about this industry is having come from an industry that has a ton of overhead of right, inventory, yeah. retail, yeah. With bad margins. Um, yeah. I think that I have just recognized that we are in the unique position of being in an industry that ha- can have almost no overhead. Right. And that is like incredible. It is and incredible, so take yeah. advantage of that mm-hmm. and make sure that you are managing how much you're obviously like setting goals against obviously how much you're making, how many contracts you're signing. You should be setting equal, if not more goals against how much you're managing your expenses and mm-hmm. bringing overhead down. Yeah. So the, uh, to play devil's advocate on kind of the other side of the yeah. coin really quickly, um, sometimes you can't think about ROI just in terms of dollars, right? Because think yeah. about it, like, do the emails get overwhelming, right? Can you manage all of these negotiations at once? Like, uh, there comes a point in time where, okay, maybe the incremental dollar amount that I'm going to make by having a manager and agent isn't going to be one-to-one in terms of how much I'm paying them, right? If I pay yeah. them a dollar, I make an extra dollar that covers their salary. But it allows you to do more creative projects of your own that aren't sponsored that extend your, you know, portfolio or whatever it might be. So talk to us a little bit about that from, you know, managing everything from the emails to legal contracts to all of that in between. I totally should have said that from the beginning, kind of as I started talking about the the financial decisions that I've made in my career, to your point, yes, like I already had those relationships and mm-hmm. I am also like extremely efficient on emails. Mm. I mean, having worked at like a company like Gap Corporate, having done time within product development where sometimes you're getting 500 emails a day, like you need to be like (laughs) on top of things. Right. Um, And so I'm a very efficient person. I'm also Mm. extremely decisive, which I think helps a lot. I think, I feel like Olivia and John kind of got into that a little bit where John's like very like make a decision and Olivia mulls over it. And I think that that's just two different working styles. Of course, yeah. Um, And So this particular setup works really well for you because this is your skill set. Yeah. But a good example is also I have those contacts. If I all of a sudden was going to go against my advice and become <laughs> a home blogger, yeah. I have zero home connections. Yeah. So I would probably have to get an agent uh-huh. to make those introductions mm-hmm. because I don't know that world. I don't know those people. Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of bloggers, yes, if you feel that 
They are taking a lot off your plate in terms of um, day-to-day tasks and things of that nature. And that mentally frees you up and allows you to not become overwhelmed. And I know we can all get paralyzed by some of like, the behind the scenes things, yeah, then absolutely get an sure. agent. Or if you don't have those contacts, but you have an incredible channel that you've grown very quickly, absolutely get an agent. And that's right. why I always say like, it's what makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me behind the scenes, I look at it as how efficient can I be? How decisive can I be? And it's more times than not, I am able to answer emails like right away because sure. I just have a feeling of like, yes, no, that makes sense or it doesn't make sense. Sure. Or I'll write back immediately and say, this doesn't make sense for me. But if we were able to update it and you were able to negotiate on these two points, then like I would consider. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, and I look at a lot of the negotiations too as negotiations can be intimidating, but I look at it as let's have a civil conversation of where we can meet in the middle, where you're going to be happy and I'm going to be happy and this is going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Right. If we can't get to that point, I'm not mad about it. That's totally right. fine. We just have like... It's a, business. Yeah, it's business. And it's like, you know what? And I try to essentially approach everything with kindness because you never know their point of view might change in six months yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like because of these two points, it's just not going to work this time. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm a huge fan of the brand. So let's stay in touch. Right. I hope you have a great weekend. Yeah. You know? I like that a lot. A professor of mine would always say, assume best intentions. Yeah. And if you can operate in that way, you'll make a lot of friends and you'll have a lot of good experiences and people will come back. Even if it doesn't work the first time around because of budgetary or timeline issues, if they had a good experience you in the negotiation, they felt like it was easy. And you, if given the right amount of time or budget, they could get somewhere, they'll come back 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's like that, that negotiation period, again, is a small window of the brand into understanding who you are Mm -hmm. as an influencer, a person, as essentially a client. I think some people are intimidated by that process of negotiation and working with brands directly. But I actually kind of enjoy that because I am able to kind of understand exactly where the brand is coming from. They understand kind of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. But you also have the cheat codes because you sat on that side for for a long time. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I hate to say it, but it's, I have a lot of friends who sit on the other side too. And sometimes you, you see what happens from the influencer side and you're like, oh man, like, don't do that. Um, (laughs) But yeah. And I, so it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. But again, I think that there's going to be a different approach for how you run and maintain your business and manage your expenses depending on Mm -hmm. what your focus is, what your connections are, and your ability and your comfort around doing a lot of the unsexy office work. (laughs) That's that's absolutely, I think you're absolutely right. And a big piece of this is that you grew up effectively in this professional environment, right? This is the world you lived in, so this is your comfort zone. But it's interesting because we're talking a lot about a lot of the the behind-the-scenes stuff, but you actually don't talk much about your personal life on your social channels. Why is that? I think from the very beginning, similar to how I made a very deliberate choice to say, I'm only going to focus on fashion. Within that choice, it was, I'm only going to focus on fashion because I don't want it to be about me. I don't necessarily want to become, you know, alluding back to what you were talking about, more of like the personality or kind of the more reality TV. Mm -hmm. And again, that can work for some people. I think that'd be a great show though. I I definitely watch that. What do you think? Bravo? Yeah. Super boring. Um, One season (laughs) canceled. Um, And I think I made this deliberate choice. And I think, um, I think we're living in this like new world where we yeah. really haven't seen how this is how this is going to play out with yeah. how much you share and i think that 
part of the amazing piece of social media that a lot of people talk about is the ability to connect with people from all over the world that you may not know. And there's plenty of bloggers who I think do such a good job of, in a really authentic way, feeling like you know them, yeah. you know? And I think that that is incredible, but that doesn't mean just because you are on social media or you're on a platform that everybody needs to do that. I think, mm -hmm. like you were saying, oh, there's space for everybody and everybody's going to yeah. have a unique point of view. And I think for me, my goal is to become a fashion authority. Yeah. And with that, my community looks different. How, mm -hmm. I, how I react and how people connect, quote unquote, with me is different. Yep. So it's not through my personal life. It's not understanding mm -hmm. my relationships. It's connecting through the joy and love of fashion. Right, yeah. And um, are you going to know as much about me as you are some, obviously, other mm -hmm. influencers? Of course not. Yeah. I think where it gets tough, and I don't want to be controversial here, but I think where it gets... Go for it. Oh, no. yeah, I'm super controversial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think where it gets tough for me is I, I do think that once your business and the way that you make money is directly tied to sharing your personal life, sharing intimate moments, yeah. sharing moments that aren't yours, sharing your, you know, your family's moments. Yeah. I think to me, that's just a very uncomfortable place to be. Sure. And I just wonder if that is worth it in the end. Mm -hmm. Because again, we really haven't seen this play out as to like what this all unfolds in the yeah. next like 10 years. And mm -hmm. for me, I just have held my cards close. Because um, you always have the option to go the other way if you want to. Yeah, to, I just like break yeah. it all open. Just um, break it all open. <laughs> hey guys, it's Blair here. Hey everybody, well, Welcome to me. my new show. Um, yeah, <laughs> I come out with like a new accent now. I yeah. don't, but, uh, <laughs> and I think it's, again, I, I definitely think that there is a level of sharing on the internet that I connect with. Yeah. And I think that mm -hmm. you have the ability to see how other people do things and you can respond to those and say, wow, I really love how she is such an amazing lifestyle blogger and I really learn a lot from her and I love her home taste. But it is cool that I get to see a snippet of her life, sure. you know, and I, I do connect with those people. So I don't think it's ever like wrong, quote unquote, to no, like it's share, different. not yeah. share, but everybody's just different. And for me, that yeah. that's my comfort level. And I, But I do think that that's like an interesting topic because I think also that's something to consider when it comes to your voice. Yeah. So it's not only how much you share personally, but I think there's also a piece of becoming an influencer and creating a platform that you need to consider, which is how much do you allow your readers to lead your content? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think, again, everybody's going to be different. There's no right or wrong way. But mm -hmm. for me, I use the word authority. And I do right. that because people come to me to see how I do something. Yeah. So if I flip the script and was like, hey, everybody, it's yeah. me, Blair. Um, tell me, that's my, I don't know, that's my story <laughs> that's voice. Story <laughs> voice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, what color should I put together? Right. Or like, what trend should I feature? Or send me new designers to put on my site. Yeah. People would be like, whoa, that's what we that's what that's you're supposed to here. do, do yeah. for us. Right. Um this is not a Pinterest board for yeah. everybody else's ideas. Right. And yeah. so I think it's different. Like that wouldn't make sense for me. But then there's other people who that does make sense to have 100%. a community voice where you say, Hey, you guys are mm -hmm. a part and you dictate what I yeah. put out there. Yeah. Um, but I think for me that wouldn't necessarily make sense because of the audience that I've built. Does that mean that I don't respect or love my audience or see them as a community? Absolutely not. Like right. I, I adore my followers and my readers. I very much care about their opinion, of course. but I care about it in a different way. 100%. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And I think
a very crass example of this is like uh, what I would say is like a Kardashian, right? Yeah. Versus which is an- what I am, right? Is that, how you, <laughs> yeah, is that yeah, the example? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming up on season two of Blair Eady. <laughs> no, uh, Kardashian versus like Anna Wintour, right? Anna Wintour is 100% an authority in a very specific space. You don't know much about her personal life. She doesn't share much about it, right? Yeah. And she obviously is extremely well respected and has an ama- built an amazing career, yada, yada, yada. And the Kardashians have obviously been very successful in their own right. Two very different. No one ever get the two confused. Yeah. But there's room for a lot of different people. Totally. Yeah. To each their own. To each their own. Yeah. So getting back to more of like the advice for influencers. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we're all about here. It is. Helping, helping out the influencers. What, when you, when you think about influencers who are either getting started right now or trying to build their businesses, what are the things that they should be investing in, both in terms of dollars and in terms of time? Yeah. The hard part about this question is there's so many different types of influencers nowadays who can show up on so many different platforms. So I'll Mm -hmm. use myself as an example because I love myself and I only talk about myself. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, um, But it's just the easiest thing to to do. To be fair, we did bring you on here to talk about yourself. So so Blair didn't just show up and like, hey guys, I want to talk about myself. Yeah. I kept kept DMing Mary until she convinced Rich to let me on. Um, And so I think that... You know, for me, it my I would say one of the leading things of my entire platform is visuals. So yeah. it's all about an amazing picture of what I'm wearing. So yeah. for that, photography and photography equipment is like the number one thing I will invest in. Yeah. And so I think it really depends on like what your craft is or what you're trying to do. And unfortunately, sometimes... Um, I'm, I'll use a random example, but if you want to become a travel blogger and that's like really your goal, well, in the beginning, you're going to have to pay for your own travel and you can't become a travel blogger by not traveling. And so I think that that's like a very different example, but Mm -hmm. like that would be key to building up a, you know, obviously an audience within the travel space. You can't do that from your couch. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Check out my trip to the fridge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly. And so um, I think for me, it was was photography, but I think it'll be very different. But what you have to do is identify what is, you know, what are probably the three key things that are going to set you apart Mm -hmm. and maybe what are the tools that are going to be completely necessary to getting that done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you were an influencer starting over, right? If you, Blair Eady, were starting over right now. Yeah, I'm tired thinking about it, but yeah. Uh, (laughs) Doing all that work and you're looking to build a platform, where would you start? So this this is a really tough one because... I think having a website, and many of your guests talked about this, is like yeah. so invaluable. Mm-hmm. You own it. Like Chloe Digital obviously talked about this in like a really thoughtful way, right. which I will never be able to articulate in the way that she can, but you mm-hmm. own it and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, the most eyes and the most people are on Instagram. Right. So yeah. I hate to say it, like build a site, but I think focus the most on acquiring quote unquote readers, followers, customers, what have you. Yeah through a social media platform where the people are. So mm-hmm. I think a website's hard because if you have this singular website that isn't interconnected to some other larger website format, mm-hmm. people aren't just going to like stumble upon it. Yeah. So I think you really need to think about where are people, where are people interacting, where is there the most, most growth, the most eyes, and mm-hmm. it is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is right now one of the key places to... Mm-hmm 
obviously grow. Um, I'm looking at this more from a traditional influencer standpoint, though, because I do think if, you, if video is your format, yeah. YouTube, obviously, it's yeah, like sure. if you're video, it's YouTube. If right. you're more visual, blah, blah, blah. You're yeah. more into like speaking to a community and like little snippets, it's Instagram. Right. And if you're 18 or younger, it's TikTok. Evidently. I, yeah, I'm like, this is like where we're going to see Blair on TikTok anytime yeah, soon. This is where I get lost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things I've noticed is that you've done some recent like influencer collaborations, right? So you and Katie Storino have done yeah. a few things together. Is that something you would think about doing in order to kind of build, you know, a a way to get noticed and seen and, and build that following that you're talking about? Totally. I think, you know, a couple other ways, you know, whether it's through social media or through your website or what have you, that I think are really good ways to catch the eye of a brand or yeah. grow your audience. You know, exactly. Collaborating with other influencers, somebody who already has, and obviously do this in an authentic way. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, to just go out there and essentially not have a, a point of view or strategy around partnering together. Katie yeah. and I, our partnership is a friendship that right. turned into something that was very strategic. Like, yeah. she's like, hey, people, like, love you for fashion, and I think it'd be really cool if, like, we showed them different ways to wear things yeah. and how they look on varying sizes. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's thoughtful, cool. I mean, I think even it's, like, Olivia and John's relationship and, mm -hmm. and how they partner together on projects, and they talked a little bit about that. Like, it's so genuine. You can't help but, like, right. love seeing them but it together. Has, it, like you said, it starts in friendship and moves yeah. to something else. It's kind of like your relationship with Nordstrom. You guys had a relationship long before you exactly. dropped your first collection with them. Yeah. So I think that that's a really good way. I think another way to essentially connect with people, maybe um, make some connections that you wouldn't have had before is... And I think this is really smart. A lot of newer influencers wearing brands, overly tagging them, talking about them in Insta stories and tagging them. And then brands might see that and say like, wow, this girl has like amazing style or like mm -hmm. this girl's beauty tutorial was like amazing. Yeah. Let's reach out to her and send her some more product. And then maybe that product then becomes a partnership. So I think it's also about like interacting with other influencers, but organically and mm -hmm. authentically yeah. interacting with brands as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Before I let you go, one last question. Yes. We're going to stare into the crystal ball. What happens in five years? What happens in five to ten years? Where does this industry go? And it what all is Blair? Ends. And I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes to an end. It's uh, it. And what's Blair Edie doing in the next five to ten years? Oof. Yeah. Um, gosh, both of those questions are are hard to answer. Um, I think the industry. Um, I, you know, a lot of people love to like you know, drag influencers down and say like, when, when yeah. is the influencer bubble going to burst? they've been saying burst? that to you since 2012. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe next year. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but I think that what people have not, have failed to realize, and I'm actually shocked because there's a lot of amazing publications out there and blah, 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 that love to write a salacious article about like, you'll never believe how much blah, blah, blah makes on one Instagram or this yeah. or that. When really the article should be, the world has changed and where customers and readers go right. to find information, get brand recommendations, yeah. how much information they consume and where they consume it has completely changed. Yep. And that that isn't going anywhere. So yeah. maybe the idea of a blogger influencer is maybe going to change a little bit, but like at the end of the day, consumer behavior has changed. Yeah. And consumer behavior isn't all of a sudden going to revert back to people like, watching TV and watching commercials and right. buying magazines. That's right. like not yeah. happening. Not so happening. I think that there's this idea that it has completely shifted and maybe there'll be some, you know, minor kind of micro shifts in the space as to 
how influencers are interacting with brands and customers, but the idea that this is where customers are going to get their product recommendations, shop, blah, 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 that's not changing. So I honestly don't think that much is going to change in like a monumental way. Right. Maybe platforms will change or, you know, new technologies will emerge, but we're still going to see kind of the the mass kind of generalization of you know, product recommendations and yep. influence uh, from kind of the Mad Men days of folks in, you know, on Madison yeah. Avenue down to actually the consumers have turned into the marketers. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of people like to talk about, you know, the influencers or the people kind of behind, you know, the people who are getting paid the money to obviously market these products and blah, blah, blah. But like, you have to forget the reason why they're getting paid and the reason why these things exist and the reason mm-hmm. why influencer collabs sell out and the reason why blah, blah, blah is because the consumer has changed. Right, like yeah. if the consumer didn't change, none of those things would happen. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, the space isn't going to change dramatically, I don't think. To your point, small shifts, maybe some new platforms. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, I hope to continue to work on product. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be clothing, other product lines, um, it's something I really enjoy and it, it is something I have a background in. Um, will I still be sharing my outfits in five years? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, again, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast. I absolutely loved my corporate life. Um, I loved how I was challenged. I loved... Um, what I worked on, I loved being a part of something much bigger than myself. Yeah. Um, and I loved solving problems that were outside of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if I went back into Whoa. some role. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned, yeah. yes. Um, assistant merchant of socks coming coming to you soon. No. Um, <laughs> From Rich's Sock Co. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be your, be your assistant merchant. Um, yeah, so I think um, I, the one thing that I've realized over the past 10 years though and being in this space is um, you can always have a plan. Like I'm very strategic when it comes to what I focus on for my site. And like I've said, kind of, the tenets of what I do, mm-hmm. but I always have to be nimble and open to right. the idea that platforms and brands and how I operate mm-hmm. has like, has changed. And so I think that if somebody told me five years ago, this is what I would be doing, mm-hmm. I'd be like, no way, like working with Nordstrom, having mm-hmm. a product line, doing these things. Um, so I think I'm just always open to the possibility of something new. That's awesome. Well, Blair, thanks so much for joining us today in Influencer Business. Yes, thank you. And I'm, I apologize to the accountants again. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> an amazing conversation with Blair. She's always awesome to talk to because she just has an incredible amount of knowledge and insight, having spent a lot of time on both sides of the industry as an influencer and on the brand and corporate side of things. If you don't already follow her, make sure you check her out. It's Blair EDB. That's her handle on Instagram. Her website is theatlanticpacific.com. Just an incredible influencer, great for the fashion industry. And make sure you check both of those out. Really quickly, I want to recap some of the things that we talked about with Blair. The first thing that Blair talked about was making the transition to full-time. I think there are two takeaways here. First of all, there are a lot of hidden costs and there are a lot of hidden things that you don't think about when you're making the jump from the corporate world to a business that you run and own by yourself. Things that sneak up on you like healthcare, simply finding it, not necessarily just being able to afford it, but find it and navigate the treacherous paths that are uh, the, uh, the health exchange websites, uh, the you know the private insurance carriers, it things like that can be quite frustrating, and they can also be quite costly. But the other thing that Blair talked about is it's not always a dollars and cents thing. 
For her, as an example, she wanted to reach a certain level within her career on the corporate side of fashion. And so despite the fact that she found a lot of success much earlier on in her career, she continued to work at these amazing brands and worked her way up uh, within those organizations because she wanted to achieve something on the personal side, right? That she had a personal goal that she wanted to hit. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to jump to doing influencing full time. There are plenty of people carving their own paths and saying, hey, this is what I want to do instead. And so I'm not going to do the influencing thing full time, even if you can more than afford it. And I think that's something that's incredibly important and oftentimes gets lost in this conversation as people are trying to keep up with the Joneses, the other influencers out there who are doing it full time. It's different for everybody. And that leads into the second thing, kind of an undercurrent throughout this whole conversation that Blair brought up and again and again. This is her perspective. A lot of the advice that she's giving is from her perspective and it's worked incredibly well for her. But everybody has different goals and aspirations and you have to think about what matters to you in the context of your broader goals and ambitions. And I think this is really important, something that this kind of leads into the next point, it, a sort of an undercurrent throughout the whole conversation. We touched on it a few times, but Blair is coming from her perspective. The advice the advice that she's providing is coming from her perspective. And I think that's really important to think about in the context of your own business, right? Blair's decided she doesn't need a manager. She has decided that she doesn't need an office space. She's decided that she doesn't want to share a lot of her personal life. These are very specific decisions that she's made, and they have worked incredibly well for her, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be right for everybody. She has decided that in the context of her business and her goals, this is how she's going to approach it, and she has found great success. But like we discussed, other people might choose to have a manager, might choose to have a broader team, might choose to have uh, a space where they work out of that's separate from their home. They might have, uh, they might decide to share more about their personal lives, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. It means that that is what they need to do to achieve their goals. But as Blair said, you have to think about it in the context of your goals, in the context of your PL, and don't necessarily jump into new verticals or don't necessarily jump into new things or have a manager or have a space because that's what everybody else is doing or that's the stamp of approval that you're looking for or it gives you credibility. Do it because it's authentically who you are and it is going to help you achieve the broader goals that you've laid out for yourselves. That's an incredibly important point and oftentimes we get caught up in the rat race of life. Influencers are not influencers trying to keep up with the people around us, especially in the social media age. So make sure that you're constantly reevaluating your decisions and your brand and the way you think about the world in the context of your business so that you can be making these decisions appropriately so that you can hit your goals in the long term. Blair had a lot of really interesting things to say, but the, the final point that I want to pull out for the purposes of a recap is her point about how the industry is maturing. You know, influencer marketing has been around for a long time in many different forms, but has really only become a mainstay in the lexicon of digital marketers in the last two or three years. So what we're starting to see is a lot of budgets going to this. We're seeing a lot of innovation. But not only are we seeing a lot of innovation on the marketing side, but we're also seeing a changing consumer. They are now looking at influencers as a cha marketing channel. These are people that consumers go to for advice. And as a result, gone are the days where you can just slap an influencer's name on a collection or, you know, as an influencer, gone are the days where you can just drop a collection and expect it to sell. You really have to be thoughtful about who you're partnering up with. You really have to do your diligence. You, As Blair was talking about, 
before she decided to work with Nordstrom on this collection, she had years of experience working with them. She really knew what they stood for. She knew they were going to deliver an amazing product. And she knew where she fit within kind of the collaboration roadmap. There was no secret there. And it's really important to make sure that you are a good fit because this is going to result in the best outcome for the partnerships and collaborations that you do for everybody involved, the influencer, the brand, and the consumer. And this might mean that you have to do a little bit more homework, but it will be worth it in the long run because if you don't maintain the trust of the consumer, if you don't do a good job on these brand collaborations, it's going to dry up and it's going to be harder and harder for you to continue to build the business that you're looking to build. You know, it's no longer the case that just because somebody has a lot of followers that they're going to be able to drive the results. What's going to matter more and more as we go forward are these real authentic partnerships where it makes sense from all sides. So as you continue to think about this and build your business, make sure you're focused on really working with the right partners and incorporating them into your content in a way that's authentic to you and something that the consumer is going to be excited about because ultimately that will lead to the best results. Again, a big thank you to Blair. Make sure you're following her on Instagram at Blair EDB and on her website, theatlanticpacific.com and stay tuned. It sounds like she's got a few amazing projects coming up. And as always, please, if you like what you hear on the podcast, if you like the guests that we're bringing, if you like the conversations that we're having, we'd really ask you to leave us that five-star rating and give us a glowing review. It really helps us out here at Influencer Business. Big shout out to Pete Crimmy, who always makes us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. He really spices things up for us here. And if you have any questions or you want to dig in deeper on some of the topics that we discuss here on the podcast, make sure you head over to trovebusiness.com. We have everything you could ever need to help you run your business more efficiently. Thank you again for joining us this week on Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and we will see you next time.